21st of September 2015. This is the 20th episode of this season. This is an all time high. Yeah, it is. Soybean Pest Podcast. This is Matt. I'm Aaron. And we have a special guest. So special. Dominic Reising. That's Did I correct. Right? Yes, very you good. Hey, you're podcasting. Is this your first time <laughs> podcasting? Yes, yeah, this is my first time. <laughs> you're our special guest. I want to share this with our special guest because we do like our little uh, script on a post-it note. <laughs> it's all official. And it's this, this <laughs> official. Is, I just want to read this, share this with the audience and with Dominic. Uh, this is what Aaron wrote for the script for today. A uh, little star next to ask leading questions. <laughs> and then the next one is let him do the talking. <laughs> that was oh maybe boy. more for you than it was for me. <laughs> just because we've interviewed a few people in the past, and I just want to make sure that, I mean, they're used to hearing us. Let, let me translate because I speak fluent Aaron. She just said, uh, why don't you let the guest talk for a little bit, Matt? Why don't you, why don't you take a back seat today? <laughs> do your little question thing and then uh, yeah. step back. So you're here because you're our, our very, very special guest, our Gunderson Memorial Lecture um, seminar presenter today. And so that's why we thought we talked about in the past bringing in some of our special seminar people, kind of doing a little bit of follow-up on what's happening with their research, and in your case, your extension as well. So we just want to know a little bit more about what you're doing. Tell us where you're from. Yeah. How did you get started in this insect game? Well, look, I'm honored and humbled to be here, not only to be part of this lecture and be with you guys, but I am back in my birth state. Are you really? Yes. What? I no, am a, did not know this. Whatever they call Iowa natives, I am that. You in are? Iowa. Yeah. I'm from, I was born You're in Fort Dodge. You're just bringing this out now? Sorry. No, it's Fort Dodgeians. Wow. Well, hmm. we moved when I was three, so I don't... It counts. I don't remember. Yeah. I remember looking up and seeing the leaves change and that sort of thing. Oh, I mean, wow. I grew up in the in the desert in Southern California, but... Okay. Oh, my God. So yeah. your family originally from Iowa? My family's from Montana. My dad took a job with U.S. Gypsum in Fort Dodge. Okay. okay. Some kind of mine there. Huh. Yeah. So. Is gypsum what they use for... Um, like soil dry- amendments? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that, and I think they they used a lot of theirs for like drywall and stuff. Oh, oh. All right. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So then uh, you grew up in California. Grew up in yep. Grew up in California and uh, was educated out there and recently. A lot of education, right? You went. You were in San Diego. Yeah, that was nice. And then <laughs> UC Davis for a long time. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When you grow up in the desert, you. Do about everything you can to get out as quick as you can. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> so yeah, went to went to school in San Diego and then Davis, uh huh, and now work at North Carolina State University. So did you have anything in between that? You just went straight to a tenure track job. Oddly enough, yes. Wow, wow. you're one of the yeah. good ones. Yeah. I don't know about good, but just yeah. in the right place at the own right it. time. Just own it. <laughs> yes, yes, own very good, very yeah. good. So very that, good. that was that was 2010 that you started at. 2000, it might, it might as well have been 2010, 2009 okay. is when I okay. started. And okay. during that time, you've already uh, acquired tenure? Yep. You're a mover and a shaker. Just oh. just going to work every day. Yep. Aww. <laughs> a team player. And you have, a, I think, an exact appointment that, that's similar to mine. So is it, is, am I right, 70% extension, 30% research? Yeah, so that's exactly right. But, what I'm doing now has really changed from when I was hired. Oh. So when I was hired, uh, the intent was for me to remain 70% extension, 30% research, which I, I still consider myself yeah. to be in that role. Um, my position is two hours east of campus, so I don't 
my home office is not on campus. It's it's off campus. I okay. do I do have a lab on campus and a technician and students, but um, and the intent for that is to be out in the main field crop acreage. So mm -hmm. that's very nice. What's the main field crop? Main field crop in North Carolina is it corn, our, soybeans, the same as here. Our or? main crop is soybeans. Okay. And uh, I like to joke with the growers that a few Iowa counties could grow as many soybeans <laughs> as you grow in North Carolina. But yeah. right. for us, it's a it's a large crop. It's not a competition. No. 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 We all oh, contribute to feeding the world. <laughs> Every acre counts. Well, How thank many? you for, thank you for growing soybeans and. Because we uh, we import a lot by rail to feed our hogs. Do so you really? Thank you, Iowa. Oh, yeah. So it's it's a it's a bone of contention for our yeah. hog producers. Is most of the soybean grown for hog uh, feed? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. the, part of the problem. Well, it's complicated. In in North Carolina. I yeah. Mean, in general, it can. We, we have a problem in that we don't have a, a deep water port. So. Oh. Um, I guess the closest might be Wilmington, which is in North Carolina. I don't know how deep that port is. Okay. Somewhat deep. And then uh, Norfolk up in up, up, up in Virginia. Um, so transportation is an issue to, yeah. to get the grain places. And for a dollar fifty a bushel, they can haul it in by rail from the Midwest. Ah. So it's actually cheaper sometimes to do that than say move grain from the northeast of the state to the main hog producing area. In That's crazy. Get out. No. It's no. cheaper to bring soybean say from the Midwest. Than it is across the state. From what I've just told. Just logistics. Yeah, I mean, yeah. hauling it by, you know, grain trucks over the yeah. highway versus. Yes. Yeah. Wow. Rail. That's interesting. Yeah, mm. you learn something every day. But there's more than soybean, right? You, you... Soybeans, we also, of course, grow corn. Um, in a lot of parts of the state, it's considered a rotation, which was odd because soybeans used to be considered a rotation, but mm -hmm. commodity prices. We do have some higher producing organic land that grows very good corn. Okay. And uh, cotton is probably the main field crop after that. And then we okay. have some minor minor crops. Do you have as well. like small grains or not really? Yeah, so I should not leave wheat out of that at all. Okay. So wheat wheat's a major small grain and is a really good rotational partner with soybeans. Okay. Most of the time it's double cropped. Okay. Not always. So is your focus on any one of those or you just try to do it all? For my extension I work on everything. I don't have responsibilities in peanuts or tobacco. Okay. Tobacco is grown more of like a horticultural crop. It's real okay. intensive. Mm -hmm. And for my research program, I try to focus a little bit more. So it's mainly focused on cotton, corn, and soybeans for the research. In that order? In that order? Not no. in that order. No? Um, it, it can kind of vary depending on what, what the project is. Yeah. So. Is there one project that overlaps all three of those? Yeah, because we have insects that feed on all three crops. So stink bugs, for example, feed mm. on... Yeah corn, cotton, soybeans, mm. a lot of worm pests do the same. Leps. Leps. I, mean, is that, I, don't, know I, if, I don't know if we could say leps, yeah. leps on the podcast. <laughs> sure, yeah, this is, I'm this, an extension. Like, I understand. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of the podcasts I listen to, they, they ask, can I swear? You know? yeah. <laughs> this is our equivalent. Can you use technical terms? Yeah, yeah it's okay. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Leps or caterpillars. Yeah. I don't often say leps in front of growers, but oh. yes, uh, leps. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know listening. So which ones would spill over to all those crops? So you said stink bugs, right? Stink bugs, yep. Stink bugs, uh, th so there's several different species of stink bugs that, that we have in the state. Um, do you have the marmies, the brown marmorated? We do, and okay. in fact, we are, we were the only state that had brown marmorated stink bug and cotton. Oh, but cotton. one of our consultants found some in South Carolina. Okay. Before the South Carolinans did, mm. I may say. Mm -hmm. But yeah, we have brown marmorated stink okay. bug. Mainly a problem in the Piedmont. 
and mountain regions. Okay. Yeah, so stink bugs are a problem on all the species, and then things like um, corn earworm is oh, a big problem. Yes. On, yeah. And on you had those. loopers this year, big, I'm reading. Big time loopers, that's yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we ha- it's an interesting place to be because North Carolina, to me, is not quite southern. Right. And I'm not talking like y'all and sweet tea and all that. <laughs> like in, in that way it is. But yeah. And it's not quite northern in terms of like insect problems and climatic issues. So You're like a tweener state. A tweener. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm not, I'm in the conversation. I'm just, I'm hot and I had to stand yes. myself. Yes, you are. I, <laughs> thank you. <Aaron. laughs> you guys want me to leave? No, no, it's good. Stay. <laughs> but, uh, oh my God, it gets hot in here. We talked about that uh, When we get time. that new, new building in four years yeah. and we have central AC, oh. it will be a miracle. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's cool. So um, tell us more about your research. What are some of the latest and greatest findings? Is that too broad? Uh, you should probably be talking to somebody else for, uh, for the greatest findings, but I can tell you. You have, you have an incredible publication list as I uh, looked over your website. And, I mean, even just recently, so many different projects, and some of it is with transgenics, um, like BT. Like, we have BT for above-ground and below-ground pests and corn. Do you have BT? I assume you have BT corn and BT soybean or not yet? No, no BT soybean Okay, yet. But you've um, worked with it. Yes, that, yeah. yes. And if you uh-huh. look at the... If you go to the EPA website and you look at the plant incorporated protectants that are like pips, the pips, the pips, the pips, much mm-hmm. like the leps. If yeah. you look at the pips, the yeah. list of the pips, pips, yeah, and you look at the past registered or current registered, there's there's three BT soybeans on there, two from oh. Monsanto and one from Mycogen. Okay, that so, are registered for use in the United States, or they're being considered. Uh, I I mean they don't have like full registrations, but they're like, so for example. Like you can grow a certain amount of acreage of these really for under, research. Yeah, oh, yeah, you, yeah, you can't yeah. export them. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. Like that. Okay, so for yeah, research. we actually have like a we have a a local seed producer that produces a lot of intacta, which is BT soybean seed for the South American market. So they're growing BT soybeans. We have BT for soybeans. seed <laughs> US, in yeah. North Carolina. Yeah, and then but it's but then it's immediately imported for uh, yeah. use it, in the... It's under very tight control. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Hmm. So, oh, that's really interesting. Because our, uh, we, don't, we don't have this at all. And, and so we, but in Iowa, and we don't have the target pests, as I understand it, for BT, because these are BTs for the leps. Yes. The worms, as you said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where they have amazing pressure yeah. in Brazil yeah. and South yeah. America, right? Yeah. I mean, it's even like just pressure aside the species diversity. I mean, mm. we have fall armyworms sometimes. They have five different armyworm species, let's wow. say. Throughout the season. Like we would get. Yeah. They, they can count on it every like, season. Yeah. Just a Early season, mixture. mid, throughout. Yeah. They've got this uh, yeah. pressure. And I imagine, I don't, I don't remember this from visiting them, but they have the, the one wet season. One's like Safrina and one's called something else, but it's like a wet wet kind of wintry season and a warmer dry season yeah. and I imagine the pests are completely different across those too. Oh my gosh. That's wild. Now I did not realize we were growing BT soybeans commercially in the U.S. It seems like a regulatory nightmare to be able to do that to export that even if it's just for I mean you said limited kind yeah. of it's really restrictive. Well, the nice thing about soybean is it's it's one of the it's one of the few crops that's not that should not te- you know Supposedly spread easily, mm. you know, self-pollinated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. self-pollinated, yeah. and you know, if you if you isolate it from other things, you should not mm-hmm. be. Yeah, 
theoretically mixing things. Right. Right. But in terms of um, like its utility, so the people growing this in North Carolina are doing it as a seed crop. They're selling the seed, yeah. you know. So, it's, it's, but this is not something that is um, being sold for use to you know to grow in no. North Carolina. Because no. no, in Iowa, we no BT soybeans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 But so one of the arguments we've heard for why it's BT soybeans aren't available here is we don't have the pest pressure, we don't have the need for it. Um, but there is some talk like when in the future might we have this, hmm. say for aphids, or if, if ever we get the brown marmorated stink bug or some other uh, critter. We have somebody in your department, right, that's tweaked BT and it's yeah. against aphids. Yeah, Brian E. Bonning uh-huh. has published meet, a couple of things about this. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think. Yeah, so the technology is available. Uh, I mean, it's not going to happen like overnight, but you could, what, tweak the BT and the delivery system so it would be available uh, for something like an aphid. But mm-hmm. but anyway, yeah, but the um, again, the pest pressure, even with aphids, uh, is not enough from, again, what we've kind of heard and I guess my intuition would say is not enough to push industry into making something like that available. Yeah. They're not even interested in using naturally occurring germplasm, it seems like. You yeah. know I mean? Like the first 15 years soybean aphid has been here. I mean, that's a relatively cheap way to put that yeah. into plants, and I can't imagine how much BT would cost to put that in there for aphids or other pests. Yeah, my sense is... Do you work much with, well, let me finish my sentence. My sense is that uh, developing a BT line is like in those poker games that you see on TV when the guy goes all in and he just pushes all his chips in the center. Because you're asking a lot. Yeah, a lot of resources to go, uh, be put into developing the line, going through the registration, yeah. the it's marketing. It's not something we can do in the public arena. No. Well, it's not something we've decided to do right. in the public arena. Right. This is true. But, so, you, but you have worked with traits in corn and so multiple traits, like pyramided traits for above-ground pests. Yes, yes. Have and you, cotton, too. We have oh, cotton. BT cotton as well. Oh, okay. So have those you, are BT crops, BT corn, BT, BT cotton. Okay, so have you had a chance to evaluate the RNA I technology with BT? I have not because from what I understand about that RNAi, the, what's it called, DV sniff 7 that's yeah. for that's a, a rootworm target, and oh. we don't have rootworm issues. Oh, so the RNAi is only for rootworms. It's not for any other above ground pests that you know Today. of. What yeah. what I've what's commercially available, and I have not that I know of evaluated any oh, of my okay. trials. Okay. So, hmm. but I imagine it wouldn't. It's a technology that can be used for any pest. That's what I just assumed it would be. For, I mean, just in the south, just the press pressure that you have, I would assume there would be some. Others, but so well, you know, you want to you want to say like soybean aphid. Ha, you know, you have you haven't developed these commercial lines. For, mm-hmm. I mean, it's the same reason for us. So you have a lot of acreage, maybe less pest pressure. We have higher pest pressure, but less acreage. Mm. So, oh okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Good, good so the trade off of yeah. one problem we've always had is uh, a lack of breeding efforts in the southern U.S. Even. I mean, through university or through anybody. Industry? Oh. I mean, we well, North Carolina State is a great place to be because we have a lot of, of great breeders there. We have a phenomenal soybean breeding group. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we've felt like in the past we haven't had a, a good breeding effort towards southern germplasm because okay. why would you? The market share is just not as great. Oh, as in I didn't think about it like that here. way. I just assumed you guys had. I mean, the, the states are. I don't want to say smaller, but. 
just the whole the, all those states that are growing so i mean i thought it would be a big number i'm not hmm. a business person yeah. if it were me i'd develop a trait for rootworm okay. i'm going to sell a lot okay. more corn seeds than i would for okay you know, a, another place okay. so what's the big uh kind of general topic that you work on with your research is there one that you kind of focus on so yes you mentioned like a lot of publications of different things some of that's extension like in my extension program I I try to work on everything to have a good grasp for my growers Mm -hmm. you know we have some seed treatment projects Mm -hmm. and um, working on wireworms and southern corn billbug which is a kind of unique pest we have and we have some other side projects on on all sorts of different things but with my research I try to be real focused and focus on a direct target of BT, which is um, corn earworm, and then stuff that's a problem because we're not spraying crops as much. So things like stink bugs, for right. example. Okay. Mm. Right. And is the brown, so um, in trying to find like areas where we overlap, brown marmorated stink bug is something that we've found in the state, and we've talked to people, uh, Galen Dively, mm-hmm. some of you wor- worked with. Tracy Lesky came out here too. Yeah. yeah. And. Uh, you know, they sort of put the fear of the Lord in us. With, like, these, <laughs> I'm so scared. Yeah, really kind of scary images and uh, challenging stories of how to manage it. But um, how bad is it? And I'm not going to say any more after this, but should we be worried? Okay, well, I'll answer the first question from my field crops perspective. Yeah, yeah. So how bad is it? Uh, I mean, it, where you where you have it, it's bad. Uh, I mean... So, for example, in cotton, where we've seen it, um, the native stink bug species tend to attack smaller sized bowls. Brown marmorated stink bug can attack giant bowls, almost mature bowls. Nymph, little nymphs will be drilling mm. into very mm. mature bowls. Mm. So it throws all of our thresholds and management tactics out the window. Because it doesn't fit with the other it stink bugs. Exactly. Yeah, we have a threshold that's based on bowl size and changes oh. by week of bloom. Wow. One of the best thresholds we have. And uh-huh. that's gone in brown marmorated mm. stink bug. Bowl. To answer your second question, I don't know, but I, I, I sort of doubt that it's going to be a big deal here. And, and I don't know. But the reason I say that is um, we're, I'm working with Jim Wagenbach, who's, a, who's our, uh, oh, he does uh, tree fruits and some vegetable work. Okay. He's located up in the mountains. Brown marmorated stink bug is a big issue in the mountains in the Piedmont. Yeah. Those are areas of higher elevation. When you get down into the coastal plain, and we're talking a difference of like, 300 feet, and then you go like 100, 150 miles down to the coast. So it's a really sloping, gradual elevation. Okay. About that line, like where Raleigh is, the brown marmorated stink bug suddenly drops off. Mm. Like and you think that's because of climate elevation issues or because of vegetation? And I, I, we don't know. It could be due. It could, yeah, it could be due to hosts. Yeah. It could be due like we're looking at. When I say we, it's mainly stuff directed by Jim, but we're looking at at a host distribution we're also looking at overwintering okay so we 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 kept some brown marmorated stink bugs at overwintering at my location raleigh and then up in the mountains and my bugs where it's coastal and warmer came out of overwintering sooner and they're burning a lot of fat reserves before hosts are available so maybe that Mm. has something to do with it okay Mm. so to me it's like if they haven't been here yet and you've you've seen them you know i know it takes and i know this pest is slow moving it takes a number of years you know are they going to be a problem feel like you'd have already seen it, but I'm no brown marmorated stink bug expert. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, only yeah. been found in, like, around homes and things. It hasn't yeah. been, at least to, to my knowledge, it hasn't been found in crops, even, like, fruits or veggies. Yeah. 
What I've been told is there's this lag time, and once you get the homeowner complaints, it's a few years before you have okay. ad so, complaints. So maybe you're, you're still in years. that lag. Yeah. So, so I, I'm glad I heard this from you, and because uh, what I've and now I'll tell you what I've heard from others, and uh, I didn't want to bias you. Uh-huh. Uh, and I'm curious what you think of this. So one thing I think both Tracy and Galen have said is. Um, when they when they arrived, and I think I got both of them at the airport. They said, "Not a lot of trees here." Right. And then both of them sort of said, "Yeah, this is going to be a hard environment for uh, that stink bug to establish because it needs a perennial. Uh, I don't know if it needs to be trees, but it needs to be a, tr- a perennial habitat that it can go into and overwinter above and beyond being in people's homes." Yeah. Didn't Tracy say she found stink bugs overwintering under bark and like? Yeah. cracks and crevices of trees and stuff so so yeah. like there are certain trees that they really prefer to yeah. feed on um, and maybe they need that as a uh, transition until the annual plants mm-hmm. that they feed on come okay. up but anyway uh, hmm. uh, does that make sense to you too oh, that, like, that that would fit very well with the distribution we see okay. in our state so mm-hmm. for example in my location coastal warmer lower they come out of overwintering earlier the host that they prefer yeah. The tree hosts are not there, but they say are in the Piedmont and mountains sure. where they are a problem. Mm-hmm. So that would fit our story okay. perfectly. Hmm. That's I'm, cool. I'm sure that's probably why they said that. They, they, knew, <laughs> they knew that was going on. So, Well, it's hard to say with this because like, it's, uh, it's, like it's like anything. A lot of new information, and everybody's got like a little piece, but you know, trying to gather the whole story. Um, and I, I think I'm like you. I'm not that worried about it being here, but... It is always kind of in the back of my mind, especially given what we've seen in other states. And and it's just like wreck shop when it comes into a crop system. Because yeah. you end up, and if I, underst- if I understood your story with cotton, it's like what I've heard in all the other crops where it shows up. You end up having to spray more insecticide, which, okay, yeah, you got to spend money on that. But then it disrupts all the like biological control and all the other thresholds that you're using for other pests and it just becomes a mess. Yeah. That's a bummer. So <laughs> on the reverse, let me ask you guys, why is soybean aphid not a problem in North Carolina? Oh, man. Yeah. Well, it's buck- been a nice time talking with you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Do we have buckthorn? That, that's a good question. I don't know. There has to be some there. I mean, I mean that's heard, not necessarily like an absolute thing, but it certainly does help to have the overwintering yeah. host. I, my guess is you have some version of or some species of buckthorn that they could overwinter on my sense is that your temperatures are too extreme yeah for them to succeed on soybeans too extreme on the warmer yeah humid yeah. side yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 and then the other thing is uh you probably got a fairly robust community of natural enemies both mm-hmm. in your wooded area where the buckthorn is and maybe on your soybeans that yeah. it's not as hospitable Smaller mm-hmm. fields, a lot more natural enemies. Yeah, yeah. And, then, and then just the climate is not ideal. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're kind of the sweet spot for soybean aphids. Uh, not that we have a lot of buckthorn, but we've got enough of it that they can persist. And then, you know, for, what, June, July, we have, we've had ideal temperatures at times for them. Yeah, it gets hot, but that's usually at the time when their populations may be trailing down anyway. Mm-hmm. So... I'm glad to hear you say that because I got a text last week on my phone from a consultant. Why are soybean aphids not a problem here? <laughs> and I texted back, not a lot of buckthorn and probably too warm. And you're like, Whew. don't ask 
those kinds of questions. Just be well, thankful. No, I, I just, just <laughs> guessed, and I yeah. am hearing it from the yeah. experts. That <laughs> yeah, and I think those summers that it's really, really hot, aphids really aren't a problem. This particular species, it likes it. You know, they like it how I like it, which is like 70, 75, and like cooler. How nights. is it? How is it that? That you don't like it hot, yet your office well, is like 90 degrees. If we have the AC on, then we can't hear uh, our voices. Even that, uh, that's yeah. true. So I'm, I'm trying to keep the podcast quality up. Right. But just switching gears a little bit, um, we're, we're kind of approaching 25 minutes here already. Time goes fast. But you're also dealing with another invasive. I just thought maybe you could share your experience with kudzu bug as well. I think you were the first person to tell me about kudzu bug at one of our national soybean entomology working group meetings. That was, what, like Were you one of the first to find it in North Carolina? Uh, Did you guys, or the first to find it? No, 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 no. So this, it, it, um, it first showed up in about seven or eight counties in the Atlanta area, Athens, okay. where oh. univer, near University of Georgia. And right. If it, you know, we think it, if it was found in the Atlanta area, it probably came in, yeah. you know, maybe from the airport, yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of international yeah. travel sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then it, it really... There was a team down there that sort of rapidly realized, you know, they found it on kudzu and it was like a homeowner complaint. Same yeah. thing with brown marner rated stink bug, mm-hmm. harmonia, it really likes to go to these houses for overwintering. Yeah. That's how they found it, but they realized that it could feed on soybeans. And I think very wisely realized it could feed on soybeans because it's not really much of a problem in Asia, but it, yeah, it's yeah, a big yeah. problem here. Yeah. Anyway, it spread from Georgia to South Carolina to us. So we were uh-huh. we were probably a couple of years late into the game. Okay. Mm-hmm. But I don't know why you heard about it. So how much, how much kudzu do you have? Is it just everywhere? Uh, n- no. I mean, you know, when we talked a couple of years ago, I thought the exact opposite of what I've said about Brahma and stink bug. I thought that it really didn't have to have a tight association with kudzu. We did some experiments where we took them and put them only on soybeans, and they seemed to survive well, but mm-hmm. that's, that's why. That's what I remember. That's why. I, this I, is why I heard it from you, because yeah. that was the, the thing that I think I took notice to. We, but that was like, maybe we haven't done all the testing yet, and I still think all the testing hasn't been done with hosts, yeah. but I, I'm starting to think more and more it might need kudzu as an obligate host at some point in this life cycle to, okay. to survive, and it certainly does better on kudzu. Um, okay. In our state, kudzu is more prevalent in the Piedmont because it's hilly and it was planted mm-hmm. for erosion control mm-hmm. and like okay. in the east where it's flat where I'm at it's kind of on ditch banks ah. and two years ago you could almost not go to a kudzu patch and not find it this year it's very difficult to find I know two fields that have been sprayed in our state mm. but a couple of years ago we were spraying a ton so wow. would they be like vegetative and then feeding throughout the reproductive period in soybean or is there like a certain target that you were going for are they all all season long? In, in terms of feeding? Yeah. So depending on the year and conditions, let's say an ideal kudzu bug year. They emerge from overwintering. They have this migration phase. You find them on everything. I'm going to get calls from people saying they're on their grapes, mm-hmm. whatever. So they're, they're more prolific. They'll feed on a lot of other things besides kudzu and Soybeans? Is that I don't what know I just how much feeding they're doing. And just, are they're on it. I mean, they're on white t-shirts. And, oh, right. and yeah, yeah, yeah. White pickup yeah, trucks, yeah, right? Yeah, so. Yeah. They're, they're obviously moving. not feeding. They're moving, yeah. yeah. And some some things they are feeding on. You can see the honeydew, you know, so yeah. they have to be tapping into the phloem. And then they, they could land on seedling soybeans and mm. then undergo a generation and then be on soybeans again. Oh. If we have a less than ideal kudzu bug year, let's say something delays emergence from overwintering. It's cold and wet or whatever. You might only mm. see them on soybeans later season in that oh. second generation. They may not go to soybeans early. Okay. And like this year, 
we didn't see him early. We didn't see him late, and we thought, well, we're kind of, at least for our experiments, hoping, well, maybe they're going to show up in October before they come mm. for mm. so We just don't know. Yeah, so it makes you wonder, like, what else they could be, what, what else will they go to? Because kudzu is all year round. I mean, it's green all year round, pretty much? It's green all year, well, uh, it depends on where you're at. Oh. If you're in if you're in Georgia, yeah, it's green all okay. year round. For us, it's it's brown until, oh. like, March, then it greens up. Oh, okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's not a plant I'm familiar with. So we've talked a little bit about kudzu bug with some of our uh, growers and uh, they're very worried about it. Well, <laughs> if, if you get if you news. get it, they should be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if you get it. Mm-hmm. But, but in part because, I, and I'm not blaming you for this, but in part because there was some information out there that it could survive only on soybeans, and that okay, so then you don't need kudzu, and it could be you know anywhere, but. It's interesting to hear that. Uh, I mean, st- I'm still maybe about that, but, sure, yeah. but sure. Uh, I guess I haven't seen evidence that that's necessarily yeah. the case. Mm. And from where I can tell in the state, I mean, with a little more experience with it now, yeah. it yeah. seems to be more highly associated with kudzu than I thought. When you have an insect that's everywhere, you yeah. don't, you can't tell that it's associated with a host. Now that yeah. we have very few yeah. of them, oh, you know what? It's around this kudzu patch here that I didn't know about, and mm-hmm. so. Anyway, mm-hmm. I think it's more tightly associated with kudzu than I thought. Okay. Should we wrap up, or should we keep going? I mean, we could t- we could talk to you for hours because we have a lot of you know, interesting overlaps with each other for extension and research. Can um, we do Can we do one quick question? Because we, yes, men- we, we mentioned this, we were talking about this earlier this summer. Yeah. Um, Heliocoverpa armidra, mm. old world cotton bollworm. Is that? I think old world bollworm. Yeah. Old world. Old world. World. So this is a lep, a worm. Did you all say down there? Uh, feeds on a lot of different. But we things. get worse than that. Do <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, I haven't thrown out critter or anything like that. Oh, I love critter. He says critter I a lot. Critter. All these little critters. <laughs> yeah, gnats. That's another one. That's I grew up with a lot of gnats. Uh-huh. Um, is that so? That's been found in Florida, and this thing will eat everything. And it's been known in certain parts of the world to be resistant to BT. It's a pain in the. It's so a pain. So, what is it most closely related to that we would know, like a comparison? I've heard. I've heard, and I mean, I may have read this in the literature as well that it can uh, reproduce with Zaya. Oh. Like they're reproductive. So that would be kind of like a close sister species, you think? Zaya is for our non-entomological. Well, you audience. said lep. Yeah, but I didn't go species. <laughs> I didn't start using Latin. Is that, that's uh, corn earworm? That's right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, this so they can mate. Mm. Interesting. So has it been fa- so it's been found in Florida that came out this summer. Are you guys looking for it in North Carolina or are you I'm part of a couple projects sending them moths or yeah. DNA or whatever trying to test for it, yeah. I'm not directly looking for it. Hmm. But you so when you send moth, you don't necessarily know that that you, you can't tell by just looking oh, no. at the moth. Oh. Mm. Like you, you, apparently you can dissect the moth and look at the genitalia and tell the difference. Who wants to do that? That's not my thing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Let's not get too deep into that. But like the, from what I've heard, the larvae are morphologically identical. Yeah, oh, I mean, wow. I mean, you can't you can't look at them and tell the difference. And corn earworm for me, they're so variable anyway. Oh, yeah. Like, the color and everything, so I could imagine. You pull them off of a cotton flower and they're pink, and then they look really different on corn and yeah. whatever they're feeding on in soybeans at the time. Yeah. yeah. So you, I know you're not 
you just said you're kind of surveying for them yeah. and sending other people. So how are you surveying for them? We've done some work just kind of like squashing them on Watman cards and sending them off for, for DNA. We've... Uh, Do like black light traps or sticky traps? Well, we're, we... Some of it we're doing indirectly. So I've been um, I've been saving corn earworm and tobacco budworm for a colleague on campus, Fred Gould, and he's really interested in. I mean, he knows a lot about both of these species, and he's kind of looking at other things genetically, oh. you know, genetic questions for them. But while he's say genotyping these insects, I mean, if it comes up sure. weird, he's going to know that it's armigera. So mm-hmm. okay. we'll, we'll know that as well. Ah. Yeah, but I think there needs to be a, uh, I really hope stuff gets funded, there needs to be a, a really good monitoring effort oh, absolutely. to know if we have it because we don't want to be caught flat-footed. Yeah. And, and it I, sounds like you need a lot of expertise. It's not just like Joe Farmer going to be able to throw out a black light trap and say it's this or that. Cornierum is already difficult enough yes. as it is because they can overwinter in North Carolina, but mm-hmm. they can they can migrate long distances. Okay. And what happens in another part of the world could influence us. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a grower wants to know something very simple about what insecticide do I spray? And mm-hmm. it's not an easy answer because I don't know where the insect came from. Mm-hmm. And our merger is just going to throw a monkey wrench in that as well because it's resistant to right. a lot of insecticides. Right. Your nice. job became more complicated. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I hadn't realized, I didn't know that it was so closely... It looks so much like corn earworm, and it could be interbreeding with them. That's a, yeah, that's a challenging thing to study. Mm-hmm. That's is this wild. something you're going to spend more time on going it, forward? If our major is found in our state, then yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Then it gets pushed to the front burner, yeah. I yeah. imagine. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah, I mean, he, he works with seed treatments. He does all a, a lot. We have a lot of overlapping interests with us, so, I mean, we could talk for hours, but... You guys yeah. are the experts on no, that. No, 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 no. <laughs> um, we, we, we spent enough time um, taking... Plus, we went to the air conditioning. Oh. It's hot in here. Oh. oh. Well, thank you very much. Interesting. And we can't wait for your seminar coming up in a few hours, so that'll be great. So, thank you. Thanks. Yeah. Have a good one. Bye.